1: Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night.
2: You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl.
3: My dearest Dominic, here we are on the friendship onion. We're back again. I love it. We're wearing two different trousers. Well,
2: we always do. Mm, Sometimes we wear jeans at the same time.
3: Oh, I I thought you meant we we
2: wore the same trousers. Oh no. One, I'm in the left leg. You're in the right. (laughs) But I like that colour of trouser, I was saying that earlier on. I'm a little colour blind, how do you describe the colour of that trouser? Olive green. Fantastic. What, what about- would you call them? Desert khaki? Desert safari? Safari deserts? Santan. Santan, okay, great. <laughs> well, we got through the uh, the trouser section. Um, right, how's it going? You've been to Hawaii? I did go to Hawaii, Dom. Aloha, mahalo. Um, yeah, I was working over
3: there just for a, a short time, mm. and I hadn't been to Hawaii for a while, mm. and I, I liked it.
2: It's a great part of the world. Well, you spent a long time there doing lost, didn't you? Love the humidity. I love it. Yeah, it's nice. It's almost as hot as LA, sometimes hotter than LA. Yeah, but it not was often. hotter. It was hotter. But way more humid, and yeah. I like that humidity. I know what you mean, Don. Mm. You don't get that, ah, painful. Yeah. Ah, it's more like... Ooh, I'm in the jungle. Like, yeah, you're in a jungle, in a greenhouse. It feels good for your skin, good for your yeah. um Just general over overall health. There's a great phrase. The I mean, it's a word, but it's actually two words together. So a kind of kind of a phrase. <coughs> <laughs> it is that they use in Hawaii. Don't know if you've heard it. But I really uh, like. Here we are. Called Dakine. Do you know this Dakine?
3: Well, there's a there's a shoe. surf surf, surf uh, Yeah. Right, what does right. it mean?
2: Dakine. So. It's D A, and then a separate word K I N E. Yeah, yeah. Dakine is. Oh, I've put some stuff on my mic. There is for um, is for anything that you can't think of the name of. You would Be really? like, oh, but pass me Dakine. Or how was surfing today? Oh, it was yeah. decine. Right, where you have to after this? I'm Go going to uh, decine. I just, didn't know that. It's a filler. Now I think that also exists in other languages, but we don't have it in English, do we? We'd say finger me or what? Finger me, Bob. But decain
3: yeah. is actually... Yeah, I'm going to use that. Great,
2: isn't it? Well, I'm always searching for words. Mm.
3: So that's a good one for it's me. It's a very good but one. Unless I start searching for decain.
2: Peeling the onion. Well, we've had some correspondence, so we jump right in because we, we've got a stacked show today. We've got a fantastic guest. Tons of housekeeping to do. Dom, quite a few people tried making my uh,
3: potato pancakes. Oh or potato scones, as mm-hmm, I called them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony, uh, Tony Carroll did. He says, how did you make potato pancakes sound so wonderful? Well, we've been eating those my whole life, he says. I usually have patties. It's the same concept, but instead of rolling the dough out yeah. and cutting it into triangles, mm-hmm. which is very important in my style, mm-hmm. as you know, Don, Yeah. We just make the patties like you would a hamburger, brown it on top, And the bottom, and it's fluffy in the inside to add flavor. Minced chives. Oh, I like a chive. We add that to the dough. Also really good with sour cream, like latkes. Potato like You like that? (laughs) Yeah. Which is, they use shredded potato, of course, instead of mashed. But uh, people around the world love potato pancakes of some type. That's true. You find them everywhere,
2: really. Yeah. But those flat potato scones, oh, well, you you and I have not done A Billion Dom Eat the World personally, have we? Like, we've not no. done our own. So, possibly at one point you could make your potato pancakes scones Scon. and bring them in. And um, you've never tasted them, have you? I've yeah, I had them, them on the morning of your wedding.
3: Oh, yeah, but were well, they mine? I forgot. Yeah, I
2: mean, you buried it.
3: Um, what's the fastest cake in the world, Dom? It's gone. Well
2: done! Oh, lovely stuff. Um, Jane Harding wrote to us on YouTube uh, regarding the hand tattoo that Billy suggested putting on his chest. Jane said, after Billy mentioned uh, tattooing his hand on his chest and making it into the United and, and making it into the shape of the United States, I'm thinking we need this printed on T-shirts or some sort of friendship onion merch. That's a great idea. That is a good idea. The friendship onion map of America, yeah. Yeah. based on your wonderful hand, and you do have wonderful hands. Yeah, I've got two of them. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, and uh, they look quite similar. And would we
3: actually have the the states? Do you think? I think you should all of
2: them. Or should so, we? Well, it's a good be, way to
3: learn, isn't it? Guess what?
2: Maybe we separate the states into where the borders are, but not mm-hmm. put the name on it, and then, and then you have to can work point it out and go yeah. that's, there. that's there. Or what if the the states were
3: written? And like that invisible ink that you have to shine a UV torch on. Mm. And the t-shirt comes with a UV torch. The t-shirt's glow in the dark. Would That's it what be I glow mean? in the dark? Is well, that?
2: it's glow in the UV. You're right. Like a, uh, like a scorpion. Yeah. Um, we've got another one here about maple syrup. Shall I read this one? Because this was Go a little on. bit about what I said. Mm, Mairin? Is that how you would say this lady's name? I would say Mairin. yeah, Mairin. Mairin Taj Kaya. Merintaj Tajkaya, I hope I've got your name right. You got it perfect, Tom. Who told us, I have to put my two cents in here. As a woman who thought maple syrup would be awesome in the context that Dom mentioned. I remember you mentioning that. On on a woman, uh, because she loves maple syrup. She says, I can say it was incredibly and annoyingly sticky in a cumbersome and distracting sort of way. Best reserved for the gastronomic arts instead. Just a friendly warning. Now...
3: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Someone
2: has poured maple syrup on her. Well, you see, I thought that wouldn't be pleasurable. I think in the moment, in that first minute, yeah. it's pleasurable because you think, lovely woman, lovely skin, yeah. lovely taste, sweetness. But then as the time goes on, even you might if, get fluff on it.
3: Even if I'm making pancakes and I get some on my thumb, that annoys me.
2: Mm. As a kid, you know, when your your parents would give you an ice cream cone, but you weren't old enough to be able to negotiate yeah. with, the, with the melting and it yeah. would go down your hands. I used to have a really hard time with that. Yeah, <laughs> mum, it's become a claw. <laughs> what, did, what did your mum do? I think she would just take my um, ice cream off me and eat it. Yeah. Turned out quite a tragic tale there. It was, actually. My mum got in touch with me today, as she is wont to Hiya, Maureen. Hiya, Maureen. Hiya, Momo. And said that um, when we were kids, we lived in Germany, we would come back to Manchester, and upon leaving Manchester, my dad's late mother, my grandma, would very often give us, like, a joint of meat, you know, like a a joint of beef or a joint of ham. A side or something. Yeah, something like that to go back with. Yeah. And... uh, in a way that we got a song lyric uh, wrong on purpose, my brother and I would sing based on that uh, beautiful Paul Young song. Every time you go away, dun, dun, you take a piece of meat. Meat with you. you. Lovely stuff. So send us in any of your um, <laughs> lyrics that you purposefully get wrong. Oh, someone else said, remember the um, Madonna erotica song? Yeah. Erotic, Yeah, erotic, put yeah. your hands all over my body. Uh, one of our friends said that when they were kids, they used to sing,
3: Bill Hardy, put your hands all over my body.
2: The diminutive goodie. But I love the goodies. I like the goodies too. And he's now become almost a professional birdwatcher, right?
3: He is a professional birdwatcher. He gets paid for watching birds. So that, yeah.
2: Do you know the slang of, a, of what a birdwatcher is? No. A twitcher. A twitcher. Because oh, they're me. constantly like that. Oh, yeah. Watching birds. Now, you were going to tell me about a song lyric, I think. No, before
3: that, I was going to tell you about talking about uh, slabs of meat. Please. My mother, we didn't often have a lot of money in our house when I was growing up. Right. And one time we got a lovely big silver side. No, what's silver side? It's like a a good cut of like beef. It's like a big, you know what I mean? Right. It would do the house all week. It would do our Sunday roast, but then we'd have it the rest of the week in sandwiches. What a treat. My mum cooked it. All Stuck time. it on the kitchen table. There was a boxer dog next door to us called Tara. Tara came in, took the whole bloody thing down. I bet Tara got a beating, didn't she? Tara get chased right down the street, by mm-hmm. my mum she never caught her.
2: Mm. We've got a friend who will remain nameless who who used to like throwing his dog up in the air when it uh, misbehaved. Do you remember that? Well, I never liked that, now I didn't like seeing it either. I love I love dogs. Right, uh, I love dogs on. too. Couldn't eat a whole one.
3: So you were asking about um, lyrics, uh, misheard, lyric
2: stuff. Yes, or purposely missang lyrics, There, yeah.
3: Here's uh, Dave Willette says... Oh, what's up, Dave? Eleanor Rigby by The Beatles. I always sing, I look at all the lovely people.
0: I look, look at all the
3: lovely people. Well, that's lovely. He says his wife corrects them every time, but he says, I can't sing it any other
2: way. Well, I also think instead of lonely...
3: Singing lovely is just a wonderful way to make your life. Maybe Mr. McCartney could uh, have a look at that and maybe change mm. those. He's the only man that's allowed to change those lyrics, you know? Mm, true at this point, yeah.
2: You got um, any, dub? Well, no, that was the only one that I remember. um Oddy, put your yeah. hands all over my body. And uh, every time you go away, you take a piece of meat with you. Um, hey, here's the
3: thing. Somebody tell us something from nothing, this person's called. And remember when we're eating apples... Of and course we to- I do. You're a lovely one. Cool. crazy. And remember the seeds? And I said, you shouldn't eat the seeds. It's a small
2: amount of cyanide, isn't
3: it? It is, it's cyanide, Dom. But something from nothing says it would take around 200 apples to be enough to kill you.
2: I mean, if anyone can eat 200 apples, it might be me, right? So don't eat the seeds then. I genuinely, I said this to you last the, the time when we did the episode of the apples. I, it's one of the nicest compliments that you've ever said to me that you consider me to be the person who eats the most amount of apples you've ever met in your life. That's yeah. a wonderful compliment I, I love an apple, me. Yeah, you do. But why? Maybe someone out there can tell us, why, why would an apple seed contain cyanide? What is the benefit for the apple? Because an apple wants its seeds to be eaten and then transported to different parts of the area so that it can have more... So, through, trees. through the small intestine, you mean? Yes, the possibly passing through a bird's anus. So, do you
3: think maybe cyanide. Good name for a bend, actually, bird's anus. <laughs> do you think cyanide maybe prevents it being eaten by the the um, the stomach acid being dissolved by it or Was something? Was
2: cyanide a natural preservative, you said? Possibly.
3: If anyone knows, if you could write to us at uh, thefriendshiponion at
2: castmedia.com. Is it? Now, this is only a guess. Right, go. Is it to stop a large animal from eating lots and lots of apples and then just literally dumping them all in one spot as opposed to a small animal eating one uh. apple and moving away because they think, well, if I eat too many, I get gutsy ache.
3: So if you what you're saying is if there was a bunch of right, and one of them went to eat like 200 apples, his mum, mum the rinocerai. Yeah would say Rina, don't, Rina don't, Rina eat Rina's Rina's. don't eat 200 of them 198 you're alright cut yourself off because of cyanide that very tiny bit mm-hmm.
2: and then he'll he'll take that and pass it down in a Darwinian way mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld has a great bit about uh, rhinoceros and also uh, nose jobs because you know the, the Latin term for a nose job mm. is rhinoplasty yeah which is a shame if you're going in for a nose job and someone's referring to you as a rhino well, it's from the Latin, you see, Dom. Well, yeah, no big nose, right? But you don't want to, you know, point it out like that, do you? It's a bit, it's a bit uncouth. <laughs> Fair enough. One of the few things that you can only be on of—you can't be couth, can you? You can only be, uh, you can only be uncouth. un-couth you can be couth. No. One cannot be couth. No. Um, I don't think we've had any more tongue twisters, or have we? Have you had a tongue twister via a voicemail? There is Johnny a few Clues. tongue twisters. We're loving the we're loving the tongue twister. Jo- Johnny's been practicing them all week. He's amazing. Though. I've shaved off two seconds from the Peter Piper. I knew wow. you'd be working on that. We. I remember telling you this back in New Zealand because this is one of the, this is one of the few things that I can do really well. I can do a relatively complicated, um, tongue twister very well. I'll do it for you right now. You'll know it. I'm not a pheasant plucker, I'm a pheasant plucker's son, and I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. That was amazing. That's not easy. We should get Johnny Clues to try it himself. But do you want to try that? I'll slow it down for everyone at home and and you. I'm not a pheasant plucker, I'm a pheasant plucker's son. Right. And I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. That's all it
3: is. It's simply that. A pheasant plucker? Yeah. I'm not a pheasant plucker, I'm a pheasant plucker's son. I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. That was great, and that was a few seconds. That was like, was that all right? Four seconds. Or so. I'll keep working on that. Yeah, keep
2: going. I'm.
3: I'm not a pheasant plucker. I'm a pheasant plucker. Son, I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom.
2: Yeah, it's not an easy one because if you trip up, you would do accidental uh, swear words. Maybe, maybe we could do more later. But um, I know we have a fantastic guest. We do have
3: an amazing guest um, who we should
2: bring on. Mike just to just to conclude on the. Um, <laughs> Tongue Twisters, which I thought was hilarious when we did it. <laughs> My favorite thing about you with the Tongue Twisters is when you were doing Peter Piper, you suddenly morphed into a member of the uh, English royal family. So you're like, right, okay, let's go. Peter Piper, Peter Piper, of
3: peppers. I wanted so much. That's as from the RP class and
2: in drama college, I think. It's to like get your mouth around the words a little better. You just become a little more A little
3: more English, do you think? Don't entertain Right, how do you like your coffee? Full-bodied, something a little lighter. We've all got our preferences. And no matter what you like to drink, Trade Coffee makes it easy to brew your best cup at home. Now, these Trade Coffee people are fantastic. I started using them a couple of weeks ago, and every coffee they've sent has been amazing. They deal only in the freshest, roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, and you can have it whole beans or ground, anything. I like whole beans. I like the noise of the machine. Anyway, whether you're a coffee nerd or you just want a better cup, these are the guys to go to. Take the coffee quiz on their website to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love the first bag, or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured in New York Times, Wired, GQ, and delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. Honestly, it's fantastic, and there's no hassle. You can skip shipments, you can change how frequent you get it, you can cancel at any time. And for our listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com/union. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash onion and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash onion for $20 off your first three bags. It's hard to imagine that spring is almost here. We are so close to that lovely feeling of nice soft grass beneath your feet. But first off, you need to sort out your lawn. Now, who's going to help you do that? Sunday. And it's easy. You just go to their website, getsunday.com. And if you're worried about chemicals, you don't need to worry. Sunday's got it organised. I've got a little dog, and I don't want my little dog all running around pesticides and all that rubbish on my lawn. You don't need to worry about that with Sunday. Traditional lawn care lays down 90 million pounds of pesticides each year. Sunday is different. They're on a mission to change how people care for their yards. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals. You just go to their website, getsunday.com, put in your address, your name, and then they work it out from there. They'll send you the best stuff for your lawn and it's easy to use. I was using it last week and it's made a difference already. And Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $129, and you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash Onion20. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Onion20.
2: Johnny, do you want to try our our tongue twister? Because Billy got it perfect.
1: You want me to do it as fast as possible? Yeah, please.
2: Or, well, we can time you, Johnny. You ready? All Hold right. On. I mean, I'm a little nervous. I'll, I'm going to give you
3: a. I'm going to give you a three, two, one. Well, give me and a three, three two, begins. one go. Right, you ready? So you go on go. Hey, all right, yeah. I'm three, ready. two, one,
0: go. I'm not a pheasant flucker. I'm a pheasant flucker's son. I'm only plucking f- 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 taters. Yes, no, you get, yeah, get it, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, get, get it. it. Here we go. Three
2: goes, John. Three, two, one, go. I'm not the pheasant fucker. P- taters. Nope. Oh dear, no, we no, can't have that's that. Too Jeez, drunk. that's taters. Whoops. Taters. John, I'll, I'll just give you a demonstration. Here we go.
3: Watch it. this. I'll give you a timing, dump. Please Three, go. two, one,
2: go. I'm not a pheasant plucker. I'm a pheasant plucker son, and I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. <laughs> I, Three
3: I, like, seconds I, and 28 that's less than Whoa-ho! seconds.
2: That's like seeing the Beatles perform. <laughs> right, John, it's your last go. Just right. stop with this go. swearing,
3: John. Just get it to the end, John. Yeah, just cool. get it to the end. The time doesn't matter. What was it you said to uh, Dom last week? Just take it easy. Just... <laughs> you ready?
0: Three, two, one, go. I'm not the pheasant pl- plucker.
1: No. I'm the pheasant no. plucker's son. I'm only plucking f- pheasants no. until the pheasant pluckers come. That, uh, that was terrible.
2: Perfect. That was absolutely textbook.
1: How many mistakes
2: did he get? That in? was awful. <laughs> it, it, that might be sec- cut from the show for it, from my it, note. No. 8.11 seconds. We can't cut that. Anyway. Well, God, we have a voicemail from somebody who did a...
0: 5.8
3: seconds. Oh, come on, let's All hear right, that voice, and then we'll
2: bring in our illustrious guest. I can't
3: believe, I can't believe the guest were going to... Oh, be it's incredible, fantastic.
2: our guest today. I mean, the stuff he knows about these Lord of the Rings things, you won't believe. All right, go on, Johnny. All right.
1: Good morning, boys. Hello. This hi. is Steph, hi, a.k.a. Steph. Click and Tuna, oh, your hi. friendly neighborhood episode artist. Oh, yeah. It's Tuesday morning. I've just listened to the new episode and I'm about to start my drawing, but I wanted to drop a line to say... While I considered holding a tongue twister contest among my family, it just wouldn't matter because I would smoke them all. <gasps> I happen to be pretty good at tongue twisters. Oh. And to prove it, I present to you live on voicemail Peter Piper. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <clears throat> Peter Piper picked a pick of pickle peppers, a pick of pickle peppers, Peter Piper picked. a Peter Piper picked a pick of pickle peppers, where's the pick of pickle peppers Peter Piper picked? So, yeah. <laughs>
3: Dom, I don't think. Was
2: that the fastest Peter Piper you've ever heard? It was for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, and it was perfect, wasn't it? It wasn't even as if
2: it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, like John. It wasn't John. She didn't John it. Um, That was fantastic. Nice (laughs) work. That was amazing.
3: Lovely work.
2: Send us in your successful or unsuccessful attempts at tongue twisters. We like the unsuccessful ones too, and send us in really tricky ones for Billy and I to do. Irish, Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. Do it! Irish wristwatch. Easy. Irish wristwatch. <laughs> Irish, wristwatch. <laughs> Irish wristwatch. It's tough, right? It's g- so hard. you got to pull that face. Right, well, let's intro our guests. Are you doing the intro? I'm going to do the intro. Right, come on then, Tom. Because the Lord of the Rings trilogy was such a momentous task for anyone to try and attempt to do, Mr. Peter Jackson, of course, um... He utilized the help of some very talented uh, producers and humans. And our guest, Mr. Mark Ordesky, who's coming in a second, um, was an incredible help, not only to Pete, but also to us, the actors, and was one of the major kind of go-betweens from the studio over in the United States to... New Zealand. I'll read a little blurb here about Marco.
3: Before you do, I was
2: just thinking about it
3: last night and I
2: was thinking all
3: the moving pieces that had to fit together to just get Lord of the Rings made. I think people forget because it was a success. Like how difficult all that Mm -hmm. must have been. And all those moving pieces, I would say, Mark, is one of the most important pieces. Yeah. And we're going to find out uh, why
2: Right in the middle of all of it. He's almost like a crossroads, right? Yeah. And and he was also wearing so many different hats for different people mm-hmm. because for us as actors, he was kind of our friendly, approachable producer that we can also hang out with and ask questions of. But then he's doing stuff with Pete and he's doing stuff with the studio and he's doing stuff with the crew and… He was in New Zealand a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, so. and through
3: his work with um, New
2: Line at that time, he was already a fan of Pete
3: mm. before Lord of the Rings, and it'll be good to ask him about that stuff. We're going to ask him. Anyway, I'll read a little give blurb. Give us some facts, Tom. Here's a little give blurb. facts.
2: Marco Deski, who we know, who we call Marco, is an American film and television producer, probably best known for executive producing the Oscar-winning Lord of the Rings trilogy, during which he spent the best part of five years in New Zealand supporting his friend Peter Jackson's historic vision. Whilst growing up at an indie studio, New Line Cinema, Mark acquired or exec-produced over 60 films, 6-0, collectively grossing nearly $4 billion at the worldwide box office, earning 38 Academy Award nominations and 18 wins. My goodness. Including the company's first Best Picture nominee and its first Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Mark also helped introduce Jackie Chan to the US audience with the breakout hit Rumble in the Bronx. Mark currently runs independent production company Court Five with fellow New Line veteran Jane Fleming, fashioning independent film and TV content for Hollywood studios and broadcasters, as well as global streamers. Wow, what a CV. Curriculum vitae.
3: (laughs) Curriculum vitae. So let's (laughs) welcome on to the Friendship Onion, Mr. Mark Odesky.
2: Billy Marks here. Hello, Mark. Hey.
1: Hey, how's I it going? Oh my song. gosh, it's so good to see you guys.
2: We were just saying off uh, off mic there, when was the last time you and I saw each other, we went for lunch because we were talking about Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Yeah, you were getting ready to play.
2: Yeah, I ended up uh, playing with a company called Helpful Goat. that was really fun. When did you guys last see each other? We, I uh, think it was at a
3: screening of something. Yes. So it may have been one of the Hobbit movies, maybe. Ooh, I as bet
1: as it was. As far back as that? It could have been the last Hobbit movie
2: time goes, it really
1: does. It that, does, it does. Yeah.
2: Well, Mark, I think a lot of people out there are going to be really fascinated to try and understand what it took for you to get to the lofty position to be able to be one of the producers of Lord of the Rings. Sure. So I wonder if maybe we could go all the way back and you could maybe tell us, as a as a young adult, how you wanted to get involved in TV and film and what you needed to study, because... What an incredible um, ach- amount of achievements you've, you've done in your career. And I'm sure people would think, well, maybe I'll try and do what Mark Ordesky did.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was very fortunate. Um, it starts out, as relates to Lord of the Rings, it goes back to 12 or 13 years old when I read the books. And that got me into Dungeons and Dragons, which takes us right to now as well. But in terms of the film, and the film business, I was in university, I was studying print journalism, and I wrote a short story for a class, which through a series of circumstances that could really only happen here in Los Angeles, that story got put into development at one of the major studios through no real effort of my own. Um, It just kind of happened. Mm. And it it was a moment of great good fortune, timing, and privilege that it did happen that way. But anyway, what's more importantly is after that, I got a job reading screenplays for producers and executives to help them deal with the volume of material they got. And when I had that job, I sort of realized that I was never gonna be as good a writer as the writers that I was reading, but I had a knack for identifying talented writers and almost more importantly, for advocating on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So when I read something I really dug, I had the ability to be persuasive about it to the people I was working for. And I realized in that moment, that was, that was gonna be my main skill.
2: That's like the gift that you, that you found. Now, when, when you said you were reading other writers' scripts and stuff, were, were you still studying at university? Or that no, was your actual job
1: at that, that point? That was my actual job. I, when I wrote this short story, I went off the journalism path and I got on this Hollywood path. Right, and what happened to the short story? Did it ever get made? Never got made. It was in development at TriStar for four years. And uh, then it just came back to me. Most of the things don't get made. Right, we know
2: that, don't we? Yeah. Um, Okay, so then you became advocating talented writers, and then did you start to kind of catch fire with a few people that actually did turn their projects? No,
1: actually, it's super helpful. I got fired from that job. It's the only (laughs) job I've been fired from so far. But the two things I really loved in that job, two films that we're going back to the mid 80s now, Mm. which was uh, Mystic Pizza, which is Julie Roberts' first film and Major League. Um, I loved those scripts. And after I got fired, those scripts got made and they turned into successful movies. And I thought, that's it. But I did get a job at this company, New Line Cinema, Mm. which was looking for freelance script readers. And I got a job at another company called Republic Pictures that was looking for script readers. So I would run around hustling, getting paid 30 bucks a script to do coverage, you know, analysis of scripts. Right. And that's what I did.
3: And so where it, were on you, sorry, where were you before New Line? Was it with one of the
2: big studios?
1: It was with a, a company that had a deal at TriStar, the okay. studio I, was, I where my story was.
2: And at that point, New Line, obviously, Post Lord of the Rings, New Line and known as the studio that that created the the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Pre Lord of the Rings, they were the Nightmare on Elm Street studio. Is that yeah, right? for
1: sure. When I got there, it was after Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, but I think before Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. And those films, the Nightmare films, are critical to New Line. Right. Those those were those were the engine that pulled the train mm. in those days. This is before Ninja Turtles, before House Party, before all those other franchises that New Line got into.
2: And what would you say defined? New Line's signature as opposed to the other studios out there, What when you read a script and you thought, oh, this is perfect for New Line, what was that?
1: It was usually left of center. And it was usually not dependent on the kind of big stars that only the major studios could afford to pay. Right. New Line didn't have the money to to sort of negotiate for big, big stars. So we had to sort of make films that created stars. And it's not, it's not coincidental that, um, you know, uh, Jim Carrey in The Mask or Austin Powers um, Mike Myers you know that we would make films that would create stars
2: and Billy Boyd of course, Indeed. Oh, well, of
1: course. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson that fit the New Line credo entirely right yeah,
3: yeah so so you're reading scripts for New Line when was the first time that you got to produce a movie
1: it was Critters part three and four the irony is my very first films that I got to work on were a pair of sequels, low budget, straight to video sequels right. for these new line films in the, in the old library, Critters, which were about sort of big fur balls from outer space. Yeah, yeah, I've I like them too, <laughs> big mouths. sure. <laughs> so, was Jennifer Aniston in Critters 3? No, was she in one of the Critters? I don't think so. It was Dee Wallace. Is Leprechaun, is Leprechaun. Leprechaun, you're thinking. Yeah. Okay. But we, we, we made a pair, you know, the company wanted these, these films um, We've got a warehouse in Santa Monica and we made Critters go to outer space, which is really just being in a spaceship and Critters go to the big city, which was really just in an apartment. And so we had a soundstage. We had sort of the apartment set on one side. We had a spaceship set on the other side. We had the same crew, different directors, um, different editors and different casts, obviously. And that, it's pretty funny that that's how it started. So is that. the Great.
2: business model there? Cause I remember Critters, the first one being a bit of a, a success, a kind of a bit of a, you know, breakout success, independent success. From there is the business model with New Line. Let's try and rush out kind of maybe a straight-to-video sequel, make some fast money. Like, were they trying to turn it into a new? No, basically, New
1: Line had a a whole theatrical business. Because I was a junior executive, they thought they could make some money making low-budget sequels to sort of fill in the gaps within the business. Mm. And no one really at New Line at the time on the production team really wanted to do these low budget movies. So I sort of got the job because no one else wanted to do the job. (laughs) Right. Um, And they said, well, Mark will do it. So they sort of said, yeah, go do it. Here's your budget, you know, stay within these parameters. Don't screw it up Mm. Um, and off you go.
2: And how how did that, how did that feel, that new job? How did you take to producing at that
1: point? It was exciting. I mean, we had two main uh, experienced producers, uh, Rupert, and it was Barry Opera and Rupert Harvey, who were basically w- were my mentors because they were really producing the movie. I was like the executive producer who was sort of just enabling. I mean, we were in a sort of way, it, it echoed everything I would grow up to do. Basically, I was there to help get them whatever they needed. Right. That was my main function. It basically presaged the entire Lord of the Rings thing and everything. I ever did because right. that was my function but it was great to be for out from behind the desk and not just writing analysis
2: right right and g- gaining a little bit of momentum so that when lord of the rings comes down the pike you can be kind of like in the great position to be one of those
1: well, yeah right? and for anyone that's uh that's watching and listening that wants to know how to get ahead at this i mean some of it is luck and timing i was very fortunate because i was making these straight-to-video sequels and then Sex, Lies, and Videotape happened mm, at the Sundance Film Festival. And suddenly people realized that you could have a really exciting, sexy business from these upscale art house films. And they wanted someone who was kind of aggressive who they thought might have some taste to go spearhead our efforts in that area. And they sort of looked at me and said, right, no more straight to video sequels for you. Now you're gonna be the art house person. Mm, right. So they just aimed me over in that direction and I was I'm a pretty earnest person. I was even more earnest then. So, you know, so basically, once I was given that job, I took it deadly, deadly seriously. Right. And I went to film festivals and I went racing around. And I was really, really lucky because I got to acquire distribution rights to all of these terrific films. And even the ones I didn't get, I got to compete for.
3: So at that point, then you're going to all these film festivals, seeing these sort of art house movies and then you're trying to bring them to new yeah, line to distribute right. exactly so is this how you first saw a pete jackson movie or? no
1: peter jackson precedes all of this ah. in the mid 80s i was working for a different company called republic pictures that did straight to video films and i acquired finished movies b movies mm-hmm. and i got bad taste sent to me by the new zealand film commission and i desperately wanted to license the distribution rights of this film and I failed. My bosses thought it was weird and violent and bloody and it had accents. This is like 1985. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 no. We're not doing a foreign film. I said, what you, what? <laughs> Speaking <laughs> English. It's from New Zealand. But they, anyway. So what did you see in Bad Taste that made you think this is a fantastic film? It was just so kinetic and innovative and imaginative. But the thing I really did, and this is the most important thing from this whole anecdote is after I failed, I wrote a letter to Peter Jackson, care of the New Zealand Film Commission. I had to stick it in a mailbox because it was the 80s. And I said, listen, you don't know me, but I tried to license your film and I failed. I failed you, but don't worry. He must've thought I was a freak (laughs) when he, someday I'm gonna be something in this town and then I won't fail you. And he wrote back like, cheers. Uh, Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) You're weird.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're weird, let's be friends.
1: But anyway, but I did follow up with him because then I went over to New Line at that point and New Line was a company with a theatrical distribution business. Suddenly every problem at New Line, I had the solution. It was Peter Jackson. Any film that didn't have a director, I had the director for them, Peter Jackson. People must have thought I was insane. Mm. But I talked it up enough and then when the Nightmare on Elm Street film series was sort of flagging a bit, um, I said, why don't we hire Peter Jackson? to do one we were always hiring multiple people like you Uh, might go freddie goes to the big city and you're writing freddie goes to outer space and peter jackson is writing what you know so we were always doing multiple ones because yours might be part six yours might be part seven Mm -hmm. fair enough and they let me hire him for what it never got made but it would have been what four it would have been it would have been after the dream child so that's, Dream Child's three, right? Uh, no, Dream Child, I think, <coughs> was five. So, five. It Would have been instead of New Nightmare, maybe. So
3: was it written? Is it was written. Script?
1: It exists. How, it? How was it? was It's fantastic. Is oh, it? man, what a shame. I'll, I'll only tee it up for you because it's right. too fun. Other, it's, it takes too long otherwise. But no, it's good. It, We've got basically, the whole conceit time. was Freddie is so played out that no one in Elm Street is scared of him anymore. In fact, kids go to sleep on purpose. <laughs> Like Clockwork Orange style, right, just to yeah. beat up on him. Right, right. And he's weak. He hasn't had a real victim in years. And then through a series of circumstances, he manages to get one victim. He manages, and just enough to kind of get with it. And he realizes, and he's so angry, he decides he's going to pull all of Elm Street into Nightmare World. There's no Forget this one kid and then another yeah. kid. Forget all that we're going to go big or go home. We're just going to pull the entirety of Elm Street into the dream world. Right. And that was the conceit.
2: Oh, that's great. That's great. I mean, this
1: business is full
2: of incredible scripts written by amazing filmmakers that never got made. Yeah, right? for, sure. Know,
1: for sure. I'm sure Pete has
2: a bunch of those. I know JJ had written a Superman script that never got off the ground, and there's tons of Batman scripts that never happened. I'm and sure. Spider-Man scripts, right? Um, so... Okay, so you're, you're championing Peter Jackson. You tried to do this thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. Pete was obviously down to do it. They, How did that not happen? It
1: just, when, when they went the other direction, as happens, Yeah, you know, Pete went on to do other things. You know, he went on, at that point, he did Heavenly Creatures, he did The Frighteners. Right. But then, of course, he went to do Lord of the Rings and, of course, couldn't get it done the way he wanted to get it done at the company that was then Miramax. Miramax, yeah and when that started to happen and they were trying to sort of you know essentially make a situation where he had to leave the project if he was going to insist on making it his way he i mean his agents and they called everyone of course and he called me and said listen i've got three weeks to set this up on terms where miramax won't make it or i'm not going to be on the project anymore Right, right so this is our chance so, and it was just a fortuitous moment. There's a lot of providence involved because he, he basically, says, I've got the pitch, you don't have to worry about the pitch. You just need to lay the groundwork. Mm-hmm. And New Line at that point was at a, in a situation where we had been frustrated by our inability to make sequels to our Jim Carrey hits, The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. Right. Mm-hmm. And we tried to make the Foundation trilogy and that hadn't happened. And so I simply put the thought out there that, well, we should do this because we're making the sequels in advance.
2: Mm-hmm. You don't have to
1: be frustrated.
2: Mm-hmm. You'll already have them. It's okay. Built in, yeah. Now, of
1: course, I was talking about one sequel because mm-hmm. Peter and Fran were pitching two films. Two. But then Bob Shea, the founder and chairman of New Line, actually went up it and said, No, three.
2: Which is obviously the the, the way that it's done because the books have split into three. Yeah. yeah.
1: When it was two,
2: Pete had obviously Taught you through how that was looking. Can you remember where the where the
1: first film would have ended? From memory, I want to say Helm's Deep, but I would want, the end of Helm's Deep yeah, or the beginning yeah. of Yeah I, I think it might be the end, but I would want to test. I wouldn't want to trust my memory entirely. To right, that.
2: right. So at this point, because I know you've taught you know, over the years about the fact that, you know, Pete had come over and and slept on your couch at right. one point. Which is a
1: block from New Line. He had
2: been to LA a few times. Had you traveled to New Zealand at that point? I
1: finally did. And I ended up meeting him. He came to the air. I was traveling through and he basically met me at the airport and we hung out. Right. Like, at the airport, it was sad. But then eventually I got to go to his house and he showed me the little house from Bad Taste, the miniature, right. you know, that, uh, that he explained. You gotta remember, I knew so little about how films were actually made. Right. Okay. That to see the little house, which on film looks like a big house, and I'm like, this is like magic. Yeah.
3: Oh, so he, he had like a miniature. Uh, yeah. Or bigature, they called yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. In right? So he did that at that time? There
1: right? was a real house, but he had <gasps> built a miniature house which takes off into outer space.
3: And that's how he did that stuff. Yeah. Can I go off topic for a second? William! Can I? Because I we're getting to some right good meaty stuff. Here.
2: Yeah, yeah. You want to do just, more of the vegetables. No,
3: I was just thinking there when Mark was talking about distribution and straight to video and all that. And you might not have an answer to this because sure. this is a question about growing up uh, in, in Glasgow, Scotland. Mm. But where I grew up and videos came out, and there was little video stores or your local store would have videos. Bad taste was always there. Yeah. Same Along with, me. with Warriors, um critters, uh, maybe. Maybe critters. For me. Uh, the Wild Bunch. Ooh. Why were those movies always the video store movies?
1: Part of it was genre. Right. People people sort of knew the kind of movies they got rented a lot. And they tended to be in certain dependable genres.
3: But there was something about it, especially when I I went and met Pete Jackson. And I thought, why was Bad Taste always, even if a a little video store that had 10 movies, that would always be
2: one of them. It scared me, that cover as well. The the cover's the kind of gnarly looking he almost looks like an orc yeah with the
1: alien giving the
2: finger giving the finger uh, uh, I remember it scaring me as a kid I was like oh that's very aggressive (laughs) very very aggressive but
3: I I, I always thought that was a crazy sort of thing and then and then I met him and I thought he he was such a big part of my yeah. Growing up, mm. because it was one of the few videos that was always there, yeah, mm. that you could always get anyway. Sorry, no, if
2: you digress, and I want to digress as well, Mark. If it, you, you had said that for a while, there going back a little bit, you would establish yourself as someone who had great taste in independent cinema, a kind of champion of independent mm. filmmakers for people out there. Because I think, unfortunately, now we are moving in the industry where it's very difficult for it or much more difficult for independent filmmakers to get ahead and sadly for independent films to be seen are there any films in that independent film canon that you would recommend people to watch or as an independent filmmaker right how do they how do they navigate their way through this marvel disney right world nowadays. You
1: mean in terms of people making independent films. Yeah. right. It used to be easier. Is that would that be accurate to say? It's always been hard. It's it, it is harder because the model of making independent films aside from like the real DIY kind of independent films. Right, like Pete stuff. Yeah, then you you, you know you'd, you'd you'd find like a foreign sales company and a bank and a, a, a US distributor and you'd sort of cobble together the the pieces, the financial mm-hmm. pieces and build them together. Yeah. And now because of the global streamers that kind of model is less prevalent now, right. um, and so it's harder. But so the global streamers put out more content, but not always of the sort we're talking about. Right. But I kind of feel like it's all about adaptability. Like if you want to make films, you have to make them at whatever level you're you're able to, mm-hmm. and have faith that the that your voice will be the distinctive thing that cuts through. Mm. You know, which I know sounds incredibly like like Pollyanna to right. say, but. Right. But I think that's honestly the only way to do it, right?
2: And are there any independent films that you think are essential for people to watch and study? And
1: oh, you mean like historically?
2: Yeah, you know, someone's someone's sat at home thinking, "I'd love to be an independent filmmaker." What should I be watching? What should I study?
1: I think it's it's two ways to look at it. One, you can look at filmmakers, like you know, certain filmmakers. You know, there's certain case studies that transcend their period of time, like. You can always look at someone like, in the genre space, other than Pete, like there's, you know, Robert Rodriguez, for example, whose first film was literally like a $7,000 mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And then how he leveraged and navigated that. You can look at the classic American independent, you know, kind of filmmakers, whether it be, you know, John Sayles or, you know, from the American South. Like It's really about picking a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite film, Mark? I, I've, I, have a, I, have a, I do have a favorite film. I, it always rotates, but my ultimate favorite film Oddly, is Apocalypse Now. That's mine too. Is that true? Yeah, that's my all-time favorite film. There you go. Wow. I can watch that film over and over. It's like the greatest, biggest, independent film of all time, right? I'm a sucker. Big surprise, Lord of the Rings, right? Mm. I'm a sucker for anything. When when studios do something bold, daring, that really pushes the envelope Mm. by backing a filmmaker that stuff is catnip to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can find a lot of films, but that one particularly because of the vision of that and how Mm -hmm. hard, and Barry Osborne, as you know, who produced um, Lord of the Rings with Peter and Fran, Um, he was a UPM (laughs) on Apocalypse Now. Did he ever tell you the story about the elephant? No, go on. Okay, (laughs) so. You know, there's you know in, in the co- in the compound with Colonel Kurtz, there's like all kinds of crazy stuff, yeah. and there was supposed to be, I guess, an elephant. The thought with Francis Ford Coppola had this idea: oh, there should be an elephant. Right. And there was only one elephant. It was in a zoo somewhere down in country, but far away. And so Barry had to find the animal, and then had to identify the route. And then there were there were bridges that were obviously not strong enough to hold a truck <laughs> with an elephant. So he put together a plan to retrofit let's say the four bridges or however many there were yeah. between here and there and he put together this whole plan which is very barry and literally was about to execute the plan when coppola said oh it's done we're done we're like you we don't have to do the plan
2: wow <laughs> that's yeah
1: wow. and that that's movie making yeah. planning for all kinds of things being told oh billy Dom, we need you, you're gonna do a thing and you gotta get ready, we're gonna do it in a week. And you're like, totally ready, oh no, we can't do the thing. Yeah, yeah,
2: Yeah, we're not doing that now. (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna fly you down to Twizel for a week and a half, two weeks, just to be on wet weather cover. And we might need you every single day. And they ended up not needing us at all. And we went mad, didn't we? We We did go slightly mad in Twizel, And there is video footage that I've lost. Yeah, you've gotta find that. well that's brilliant. Okay, so let's let's try and get back on right, topic. Sorry. Yeah. So you're at new line, you have you you've become a champion for Peter Jackson's work. He then presents to you this idea that he needs to get this Lord of the Rings double set of movies yeah. over the finish line. Is it is it Bob Shea and Michael Lim that yeah, subscribed like, into
1: three? Yeah, Bob Shea was in the room along with Peter. Fran, Ken Kamins, their then agent, now manager, longtime partner. Mm. Um, You're there. And I'm there, and yeah, and that's, and Bob Shea, who I remain close with to this day, is famously inscrutable, <laughs> hard to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he watched the whole presentation. Peter done a video that showed how forced perspective would make, you Let's know, normal size huh? actors, you know, you, you, how massive was gonna work, how Gollum was gonna work. <laughs> And you just couldn't tell how it was going, how the whole pitch was going. Um, and then Bob sort of very famously said, well, Tolkien's already done his your job for you. Why two films? Mm-hmm. Why not three? Mm-hmm. And that was like, it's literally, I imagine the moment must have been like trying to get a wild animal to eat out of your hand without right. scaring it away. Right, right. Because yeah, I'm sure yeah. Peter and Fran must have been thinking, yes.
2: I mean, three. Pete yeah. and Fran are relatively inscrutable as well. Right? Yes. What would, Do you recall their reaction? Do you think that they wanted three, but they weren't able to negotiate?
1: It I either? think it, all of them were sort of like, sure. yes, <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah, we great. could do that. And then we set about a process whereby the two film plan and the budget and the script had to then be reconstituted. And then suddenly Philippa... And Peter and friend had to turn it into three scripts mm-hmm. and a whole new production plan and a whole new budget, which obviously went up mm-hmm. yeah. and as it should. And yeah, then we were underway and then casting. Do, do you recall what else. year that would be? Yeah, that was, they came in in July of, I want to say of 98. We st- shot, started shooting in October of 99. So it would have been in July, August of, of 98 just, when that meeting happened. Just over so that, a year. Is it basically at that meeting
3: just to let people know how it go. Do they basically get a yes there? Is it's
1: it- it's an incremental yes. Right. So they got it. We got a yes, which meant we that which meant New Line now had to make deals with Miramax, Salzance, and Peter and Fran mm-hmm. to right. to to make deals to do this. Once those deals were made, then a sort of enhanced R and D development process started, whereby we kept spending money to support the sort of R and D process the writing process, the budgeting process, all mm. the different things. And then it got to a green light where instead of looking at spending maybe $20 million to like, you know, to see if we could do it. yep. Now we're going to see if we're going to spend $200 million right. to actually make it.
3: So the green light is when that's it. The, yeah. These films are getting made. Made yeah, at
1: this price.
3: And at that point, are you,
1: you know you're part of the movie at that point I did when my honest thought up until Lord of the Rings the most expensive film New Line I worked on was six million dollars yeah so I actually had zero expectation of working on the films I thought my job was simply to be an advocate for Peter to bring him in to hopefully lay some foundation with him and Bob and then if it worked yay and they'd get someone else on the team to work on it who was more experienced than me
2: because the budget for for the original trilogy was what, 2627. It was it
1: was greenlit at like two oh seven. Two oh seven, and then some X. And then, then the the right as time went by more. And the the brilliant thing about New Line is the sort of the pride of authorship. And I remember Shay said, like, well, who else are we gonna have to do it? You read the books when you were a kid, he's your friend. Right. Sleeps on your couch. Right who else is gonna know if it's working or not working you're going yeah you're perfectly positioned and then the irony is so they would send me down and i would go to sort of look out for things like to be look out for the studio's interest and then peter would then pull me into so many things that i didn't even realize i'd get pulled into because in his mind it was in his benefit that i was knowledgeable about anything that was going on yeah so eventually I could speak to the studio about things that he didn't have to speak about, mm, right. so everything so the more I went, the more I wasn't allowed to leave right. and I just stayed
2: you're the go between so just to just to back up a, a little bit when so so you guys are all in that office, Bob Shem and Michael Lynn said, why don't we turn it into a trilogy instead of two? Pete and Fran and Phil say that sounds great is there a is there a point through that process where those guys, Phil and Fran and Pete, have a little moment with you of like, we did it.
1: Or do you never fully get there because there's new targets to set I don't down. remember that moment. Um, the, really, the, old, the real, I think, I think the moment I really felt that is when the films were actually greenlit. Right. When they were really green, And by the time they were greenlit, you all were in it. Right.
2: Even right. though we hadn't
1: met, like, I knew you were there. Like, I, the casting process had gone on. All the major roles were cast. Right. And the whole thing, it was sort of that, because that that point, you you know how it is when you make films and television. You don't really know you're making it until you're yeah. there making it. Walking
2: yeah. on set. So, so, so the film gets greenlit. Do you recall how quickly you then went to New Zealand and were kind of Pete's right-hand
1: man? I can't remember how quickly. I just know that I went increasingly more and more where my whole calendar started shift, shifting, where I measured it by... Not so much how much time I was going to go down for, but how much time I was coming back. Mm. Okay. So it just sort of happened over time. There was always things to do.
2: Right. Pete obviously had wing nuts, was was up and running for a while before that. Oh, yeah. And wetter, but it's a, it's a completely different wetter than what it is now. Yeah. Do you recall the first time walking around that wetter and, and what it was like? Yeah. It
1: was it was great. It was because basically weta the dna of weta is was the same then as it is now it was like innovative and envelope pushing and what lord of the rings enabled to have happen is just unbelievable amounts of resources getting pumped into the place so that all these talented people could just do a lot more right right that's really what happened the spirit of the place is really no different
3: right we i had, saw, I saw oh, a picture oh. today actually from where, to, where I think it was very early on where they got maybe 40 people in and, and did them all as orcs. I don't know if you saw that. Was oh, Vision yeah. Taylor, right? Yeah, and it's yeah.
1: got... When would that have been? Would that have been... That definitely would have been during pre-production because yeah. that the, the, all those orc masks because they don't even look like the actual finish. Not quite. Yeah, yeah.
3: but it's starting to get the style, isn't it? It yeah. must have been so weird being down yeah, there when, sure. when those decisions are being made because I'm sure you've seen things... That never made it to the movie. That maybe even you wanted or didn't want, or yeah. just all the changes that we will never know was there. You, you know? sort
1: of have to hold on loosely, I yeah. find, because if because you, you basically want to back, it's all about backing the artists. If you're someone, you know Michael De who runs um, who runs MGM, but who was at New Line at yeah. the time, and whom uh, gave me this great advice, sort of like. of the job is picking the right people or being picked by them. Mm
3: -hmm. Right, okay.
1: Because if you don't get that right, then everything else you do is struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you've picked the right people or you've been picked, then you're about enhancing, enabling, facilitating that process. If you've picked wrong or you've been picked wrongly, Mm -hmm. then no matter how hard you try, everything's gonna be struggling. Right, because with Pete,
2: ultimately you know being the 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 puppet master on those trilogy of films based on his ability and his level of talent it all trickles down from
1: pete yeah for sure
2: just to touch about what what you just said there i remember us all being so excited that we were going to film this sequence in the boats where we got attacked on the shoreline by orcs oh yeah yeah and about three or four days before we were going to start doing that sequence, which I think was going to be at least a week, if not more, of mm-hmm. filming. Mm-hmm. Queenstown was flooded and the sets got completely washed away and Pete just said, well, oh, we just won't do it. And what's that like as a producer? Yeah. I mean, that must be sleepless
3: uh,
1: nights. You, I mean, flooded Queenstown. Yeah, you can't before even you think about it because you, it's basic, you have to be sort of addicted to problem solving. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, it's complete madness. And you have to sort of look at it as opportunity, Mm. otherwise you'll just go crazy.
3: Mm. I remember when we arrived in Queenstown and they had uh, ladders up in the hotel you couldn't get in because there was no foyer. Mm, Yeah, It was underwater. And we went up ladders Mm. into the first floor. Mm. And we were like, this can't
2: be where we're filming. It was crazy. People
3: were going down the main street in canoes. In canoes.
2: We we were advised not to go into the center of town because there was a few restaurants we wanted to go to and go have some fun. And we were advised (laughs) because the water had now become a little fetid and not great. We spent one of our afternoons, I remember you and I, Helping people move sandbags around. There was there was tons, literally tons of sandbags at this hotel, and we were moving them from one part that wasn't as flooded as the other part to the overly flooded section. So
3: for us a sort of adventure, but I'm sure for you, Mark, is like sleepless nights on the phone to Bob Shea saying, We've just lost half a million dollars down a river.
1: It's funny you I learned a lot of valuable lessons on rings. One of the things, when a, when a problem happens, find the solution ah, and then right. communicate the problem.
3: Right, Ah, right. nice. Which
1: is something that it, it. when you're earnest like me, that's not the natural instinct. The natural instinct is, oh, communicate everything in real time. But if you're calling about the problem and you don't have a solution, are you really doing any good? Right, Are right. you doing anybody any good, including yourself? Right. Okay. By yeah. doing that, I mean, I remember Council of Elrond. Queen, this is a Queenstown thing too. Um, it was shooting, obviously we were we were in Queenstown a bunch of times for mm-hmm. different things, but one time I was there and I was looking forward to seeing things. I was hardly ever on set. It was kind of hysterical. Mm-hmm. But And Peter said, well, the Council of Elrond is like, if we shoot the Council of Elrond as it's currently scripted, it's gonna be like a 45 minute, not literally, but it's gonna be some gigantic right. thing. And that's obviously not viable, but the scene has to be the scene. And Philippa and Fran are, are working on it. So you should go and work, you know, be there sounding board as be helpful, Mm -hmm. go be helpful. So I said, great, I'll go be helpful. And then you realize this thing is shooting like next week and you realize the pressure and the consequences. If you think for a minute, like, gosh, if we don't, if this doesn't get sorted, Mm -hmm. then next week is gonna suffer the consequences of something. Not Fran's whole thing about laying track before the moving train. That's where that stuff comes from, right? Right, right? And then you realize, oh, this actually has to be solved. We actually can't spend any time telling people that there's a problem. It just has to be solved. Right, right.
2: Yeah. And we were saying just before you came on that, that you have this innate ability, Mark, whether it's just your personality or, or how good you are at your job, that you're able to wear a lot of hats and do that mm. really well. I always felt in my naivety back in New Zealand when I was 24, I kind of thought, okay, so Ordesky is kind of the go between for the actors and the studio. But that wasn't your job at all. That was one of them, though. You were really good at that with those that I thought, oh, that's what Mark's doing. But obviously, you were doing specific jobs for New Line and Bob Shea and Mike Lim. You were doing specific jobs for Pete and Fran and Philippa. But every time I saw you, I was like, oh, Mark's like this this kind of oil in between everyone where he's making sure everyone's okay and everyone's having a good time. And Are there any problems you need to talk to us about? And, um, you know, we're all much younger men back then. We were out and about partying and you know, eating meals and drinking and having fun and I remember just thinking it's like Mark's been here the, the entire time, yeah. you know. And I think I, I, I even read, a, I'm sure,
3: maybe this isn't true, but uh, you you went to Pete once with something and Pete got you d- doing off, off-camera yeah. lines? Is has that a, true?
1: Yes, Pete has a great sense of humor because since I've known him since the mid-80s, he could read me, I'm not that hard to read, but he could definitely read me, and I was, I was coming to set. First, of all, if I'm coming to set, and there's, it's not about pro- set, there's a problem. Then that means I'm about to interrupt, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I must obviously feel it's very timely. So right. I came marching my, in my mark way, purposefully, and he saw me coming. And before I could open my mouth, he said, "So good you're here. We're doing like Fanghorn Forest, and no one's here to do Gimli's offlines." Really. And we've got, we've got Ian here, we've got you know Orlando, we've got Vigo. If you stand behind that tree, you can do Gimli's lines. It'll be <laughs> so helpful. Really? Ian, won't it be helpful? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Dear boy, it'd be very very, very, very helpful. Very. So for three hours, I was stuck behind the tree. And by the way, there's almost no photographs of me on set, right. at Lord, Lord. there's one photograph, which I am convinced to this day, Peter had someone take. I'm sitting there looking borderline moody, broody, um, <laughs> holding my little sides, which I never held sides because why would I have them? Right. Um, reading off lines and looking, mm. I got played.
2: <laughs> nice. I love that. Yeah, Pete said. He
1: also tricked picky. me into announcing the world premiere of we Return of the King in we New Zealand for, during Two Towers.
2: He did the same to me in a much more minor way. He pulled the same trick that he pulled on you. So, with you at the Wellington. Wait, no, where were you? It was you? the Two Towers Wellington premiere. Which was not the world premiere of Two Towers? Was that in
1: LA or New York Mm -hmm. for Two Towers? I think no. For Two Towers, I think it was in the
2: London. Was it? I think it was in London. Maybe. Yeah. So at the premiere for Two Towers in Wellington, he brought you up. Well, you were on stage, but he brought you up in front of the mic and said, "Where is the world premiere for The Return of the King going to be?" And you were like, (laughs) "Wellington." (laughs) He did the same thing to me, ish. At the one ring party at the Oscars when it was the clean sweep that, um, for Return of the King at the Oscars, he mentioned that prank that I pulled on Elijah where I played the German journalist. And he said, while I was on stage with him, you know, Dom did this really funny prank and we'd love to have it on the DVD extras. What do you guys all think? And all the crowd went, yay. And then he said, what do you think, Dom? And I went,
3: yeah, <laughs> sounds
2: great. <laughs> Want to throw me some cash? No, okay, we'll do it for free. Dom,
3: hey! Fantastic chat with Mark.
2: Yes, I'm. I'm having a good time with this one. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy, and because we spoke at length, we're going to split it into two, aren't we? I think it's a good idea, Dom. Mm-hmm. Because uh, great stories,
3: and I think really interesting to hear the uh, the the stories a lot of, Lord of the rings from a producer's point of view, um, and and hear how that was different and. You know, we hear a lot from the actors and I think it's really interesting to hear from Mark.
2: I agree. And I think a lot of people out there that might not be involved in our business think, okay, the director is the ultimate boss and the director makes all these decisions, but without a producer helping the director to be able to make those artistic Mm -hmm. choices, you're really in, in a mess, you know? Producers make sure that their director can have their best day on set and Mark, being involved in what must have been one of the more complicated trilogies to ever yeah. make, if not the most complicated trilogy, because that, that I mean, that would be quite overwhelming for me to- You can do it. I, I honestly don't. I'll think tell it. you right now. Yeah, I don't think I could. <laughs> so if you want to be a producer, if you want to know what life as a producer is like, and some of the pressures and responsibilities um, Tune in next week as well because Mark's going Exactly. To really, he's gonna break it, break it, break it, break it, break it down. It's a little bit of rapping
3: for you. So you'll be hearing it from one of the great producers and uh, hearing and, it from Mark Odeski. And one of the
2: two truly average actors, myself and Billy. Hello.
3: So don't forget to write in to um the friendship onion at castmedia.com or leave a message. Yes. Speakpipe.com forward slash the friendship
2: onion. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Subscribing is very important, especially if you want to hear the story of me um, shaders self at work into a pair of um, open-toed sandals. Did they have a heel? Did, they didn't did they, have a no. heel, no. Okay. It was kind of a Velcro grip. I threw him away quite soon after the incident. Don't Not tell us anymore. Don't tell now, us anymore. Once we get 200,000 uh, subscribers, I will uh, unleash that story in the same way that my bowels did uh, upon the tops of my thighs. Um, which is a shame when I think about it. But the reason why I tell this story is I actually had initially, for the first kind of half an hour, quite a lot of shame right. associated with yeah. that story. Yeah. When I ran to the bathroom, dripping, gators, ping, gators, my legs, yeah, to clean my dirty thighs. I remember thinking, this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. Like to in public. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And I thought, the thing to do now...
3: Is Wait a minute. Are you telling us the no, story? No, no, I'm just telling you this
2: bit. The thing to do now is tell everyone. Tell everyone. Right. So that's why in this particular platform, when we get 200,000 uh, followers, I like to tell everyone because then there's no shame. Shame likes to be hidden. No, don't hide it. No. Bring it out into the open. Bring it into the light. And once we get 300,000,
3: Dom and I will write a song called When Dom Shares Self mm. in Public.
2: Mm. Um, So subscribe to The Friendship Onion. Leave your comments, questions, concerns on our YouTube channel. We love trying to do tongue twisters. We love hearing about song lyrics that you inadvertently or purposefully get wrong. And there was another thing. Oh, riddles. I love a good riddle. Riddle me this, Tom. Mm. That sounds as if I had a riddle there, but I don't. You didn't have one. No. There's a great riddle in the new The Batman film. We may try it for you. Is it the riddler who does it? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it? I've not seen the film. Oh, well, there you go. So try it? What if you want? you want, yeah. Um, what does a liar do when he's dead? What Lies. The... Almost. Lies down. Lies
3: still. Lies still! Amazing! Absolutely nailed it! See you next week. See ya! On the Friendship Onion. <laughs>